Thank you so much, Ash. Thanks, everybody. Yes, actually, you can stay standing um, because 98 youth. Well, it's 98 including the team. So 98 people are going this week. And I'd like to invite all of you to join me right now in this moment. Let's pray that God will crash in on them all week. How many of you in this room, okay, you gave your life to Jesus before you were 21 years old? How many of you in this room? Raise your hands up really high. Right up, right up. Just look around. That is almost 90% of the room. Okay, 90% of this room, you gave your lives to Jesus before you were 21 years old. You are praying earnestly in these next few minutes for 98 people who are going to have life-transforming, destiny-altering encounters with God this week. And their whole lives are going to be changed. And they're going to be those that will raise their hands one day because you prayed for them, because we all stood with them. And you know, because we're all family together and like Ash just did such an amazing job this morning of help inviting us to enter into more of the revelation and fullness of our union with Christ in God. Do you, it's so exciting to think we all get to go to youth camp this week. Because of all of us, we all get to be part of what pastors Aaron and Jess and all of the team are going to be accomplishing in the lives of the youth. We all get to go this week. Isn't that fantastic? That's so awesome. I'm just so glad I don't have to get pied in the face and covered in mud and all the other things that goes with youth camp. Come on, let's find somebody right now next to you. Uh, just a couple of uh, maybe, you know, twos or threes, and just begin to pray right now. Just make it short prayers, not long prayers. Make sure that each of you get to pray. Okay, off you go. Okay, the next person should already be praying by now. Switch over, let the other person. It's not the length of our prayers that causes God to answer them. It's his love for us that causes them to be answered and his faithfulness. Pray, pray for these youth. Father, I thank you so much for this amazing week, the opportunity that these 98 people, these 98 young people get to go on this amazing youth camp. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus, collectively together as part of their family and your family on the earth, that you would give every single one of them the most outstanding, epic encounters with you, Holy Spirit, that transforms the very 
the very course of their lives and turns them into the most amazing, mighty men and mighty women of God and that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done and that Lord, you would cause the dominion of darkness to be totally plundered all week in Jesus' Name and that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit and that they would encounter you in your transforming presence and that they would come back just filled with you, filled with the knowledge of your will and an amazing future with you. And I pray for every single one of these 98 people, Lord, that not one of them, not one of them would fail to walk with you all the days of their lives, being fruitful in every good work and bringing glory to Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen, amen. Amen, you all may be seated. Well done, thank you so much. Ah, you know, Proverbs 28 verse one says that the righteous are bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when nobody is chasing them. How, how amazing is that verse? It, it's just an amazing, amazing verse. And uh, we're righteous in Christ Jesus. We're one with Him. And so we can be bold as lions. Woo, I love that. And you know, right now, all over the world, people are running scared even when nothing's chasing them. And uh, that's what wickedness does. That's what sin does. Sin causes us to be paranoid. Sin causes us to be filled with shame. Sin causes us to hide. Sin causes us to be fearful. But righteousness causes us to be bold as lions. And when we know that that righteousness is not of our own doing, as Ash so wonderfully uh, exhorted us and reminded us of uh, this morning, then that boldness comes because, not because we've earned that righteousness, but because of what Jesus has done for us and we can be bold. We're not gonna let our past sins define our future. We're not gonna let our past shames determine where we're going in our future. We're not gonna live constantly worried and anxious about the past or constantly worried and anxious about the future and missing everything in the present that God wants to give us. We are gonna live in the present, in the person and the presence and the power of Jesus. Hallelujah. And uh, I'm excited this morning. The message title that God's given me today is who is building your blessings? Who's building your blessing? I wasn't even supposed to preach today. We had a wonderful guest speaker lined up for this morning, Pastor Reggie from Kings Park Church here in Durham. And we were really excited about him coming, but something really serious cropped up and that meant that he had to give us a phone call yesterday late afternoon to let, or yesterday at some point, I heard about it late afternoon, uh, to let us know that he was unable. And knowing Pastor Reggie, we knew that that was not something that he was thinking lightly. And so, of course, we released him and blessed him. And uh, I had a phone call from Murray to say, hey, Dunk, this is what's happened. How are you feeling about preaching tomorrow? And uh, we were just on our way back from Statesville, where we'd been yesterday. And uh, so I had just like the little rest of the journey and um, arrived home late and woke up early this morning. And I said to Murray and I said to Kate, 
you know, I'm going to, in a circumstance like this, I feel at peace to pull out of my pocket an amazing, epic message that's very well polished because I've been preaching it all over the world for years. And when you, when you practice something for long enough, you get pretty decent at it, don't you? Okay, and I felt like I had a message that would win me an Olympic gold medal in my pocket. And so I joyfully said yes to Murray and boldly thought, great, thank you, Lord, that you, didn't, you asked me 30 years ago, I don't want you to have a set of prepared sermons alone. I want you to always be a prepared life. And I thought, great, fantastic. Then I woke up this morning, all relaxed, thinking, you know, here we go. And the Holy Spirit said, I don't want you to preach on that. I want you to preach a totally different message because I want to catch the fire as a people in Raleigh and around the world to know, to know who's building their blessing. And so God gave me the message and I'm super excited. I preached it already this morning and so I've got one practice under my belt. I want you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs and chapter 8 and verse 21. I realized this morning as I was waiting on the Lord and just having my usual quiet time, uh, I always like to make sure that I don't live my life uh, out of, um, or, or rather that I don't sort of live my life in ministry, so to speak, out of my quiet times. I felt like the Lord saying, your quiet times are for you and me. And for me, Jesus, and uh, not so that you can, you know, uh, have this or that going on that makes you look good. I just want you, or otherwise, I just want you to walk with me in your quiet time. So uh, that was my, um, that's been my practice for many years. One of the things I love to do is read the Bible through from cover to cover each year. I don't say that boastfully. I say that as an invitation to you to get into the same discipline. Because spontaneity is the reward of discipline. I once heard somebody say. So, I read this verse during the week. Proverbs 8, 21. Speaking of wisdom. In fact, chapter 8, the title in my Bible says, The Excellence of Wisdom. Everybody say, Wisdom. <laughs> that I may cause, this is wisdom speaking in the first person. Wisdom is saying to you and I, Wisdom was speaking to me this week that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. Wow. As I read that, I just put my Bible down and I suddenly realized wealth seems to be that elusive thing that so many human beings, billions, have chased their whole lives, thinking that it comes by our endeavor alone. And yet here we have the Word of God and wisdom is speaking to us and wisdom, she's saying to us, I cause those who love me to inherit wealth. Think about that for just a moment. You know what an inheritance is, don't you? It's what you're given because of who you are. 
by someone who loves you very much. You don't earn an inheritance. Nobody earns an inheritance. It's given to them. Oh my goodness, just let it sink in. Okay, look at this, let's read it again. That I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. You realize that wisdom is at work constantly around you and perhaps even in you, in fact, in you, for those of you who believe in Jesus, wisdom is constantly at work to cause you, because you love wisdom, to inherit wealth. The problem is, most of us are not conscious of wisdom in our lives. We don't know who wisdom is. We don't know who she is. We're not conscious. We're not thinking about wisdom because we're making the mistake of falling into two ditches on either side of the road of the path of life. Ditch number one, I'm going to make my life something. Everything in my life is centered upon me doing and accomplishing. Of course, it comes from that whole orphan spirit that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, that spirit of Esau, that spirit of independence, that desire to be significant because we have, no, we have no consciousness of our father and so because we're thinking as orphans and wanting to be a somebody, we fall into this life of searching for significance, either becoming significant through our our family name or our wealth or our education or our friends or our, or our houses that we live in or our jobs that we have or whatever it is, it's all centered around the search for significance. And if you want to know if you are suffering with that search for significance, just watch yourself going forward how many times you'd like everybody to know it was your idea. Or if it's a bad idea, how you don't want anything to do with it. And the other ditch on the other side is this place where life is full of all kinds of obstacles and giants and challenges and things that are just way too big for me and I just don't think I can do that. So I'm going to shy right away from living out there in that place. I'm going to live in a place that I can control everything. I'm not going to live out of control. I'm going to live in a place of control. And the Lord is saying, wisdom is saying, I cause those who love me to inherit wealth that I might fill their treasuries. Whoa. Mm. You know, I want you to turn to the book of James because I want you to take, I want to take us on a pathway. Who's building your blessing? Who's building your blessing? I want to take you to the book of James so that we can go on a journey into discovering wisdom and the path to wisdom. James chapter 1 and verse 2. My brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. My Bible has a little one next to the word perfect and complete. And that word perfect and complete actually means mature in the Greek, mature. 
that you may be mature, lacking nothing. How many of you know that if you inherit wealth, you lack? Okay, let me say it again. How many of you know that if you inherit substantial wealth, you lack? And so, oh my goodness, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let them ask of God who gives to all. Say all. I'm saying it so that it sinks in in your heart. I'm included. Who gives to all liberally, freely, and without reproach. And, the, and wisdom will be given to them. And let them ask in faith. Now, you know, I was, Kate and I, we, we just got back from Iceland. And we had a wonderful time in Iceland. They worked us hard. We preached many, many messages, uh, ministered in many, many meetings. And our Catch the Fire church, yes, everybody, we have a Catch the Fire church in Reykjavik, Iceland. Okay? And that church is an amazing church, close to around 300 people. They're just outstanding in so many ways. And Kate and I had the joy of actually... Uh, being there on the very first Sunday, we helped plant that church in 2009. And so for us, it was, it was a real homecoming to this amazing, amazing church. And uh, there was just a very small number that were there on that day we started it. The rest of the 290-odd people that were not there have all been saved in that church. Now, that's awesome. And here's the thing that we love so much about it. Barbara and Baldur, they are the pastors of the church. And they were there on, well, Baldur was there on that very first Sunday. And uh, what was that, 12 years ago, I guess now. And the thing about Baldur, okay, is that he was the biggest drug dealer in Iceland. And then he got saved. He's just about to write a book and some big, big name people are coming to do the film. They're all, they're all lining up to buy the rights to the, to the book for the film. And he's got the joy of thinking about which, which of these gigantic secular movie-making companies am I going to give the rights to my book for? Nice problem to have. And, and the reason why his story is so amazing is because Jesus crashed in on him in the midst of his darkest moments in his life, he was serving for six years in jail for the death of a man that he had absolutely beat, smashed up, not intending to, for him to die, but he died. That's a heavy deal, isn't it? And yet, Jesus, and yet Baldur met Jesus. Jesus met Baldur and he was totally saved. And he has not allowed the shame and the tragedies of his life and the sin of his life to define his present nor his future. In fact, he's walked with the great Redeemer himself and has turned all of the tragedies of his life into trophies of God's grace all around the room of his life. And you know what's there's so beautiful in the, every worship set? And by the way, they have meetings all week because the whole church demand it because they're so on fire and so passionate they don't want to miss a single meeting. So they've had to have Monday meeting, Tuesday meeting, Wednesday meeting, Thursday, because they're just so hungry. 
They're just so hungry. And Kate and I, what we loved the most about it was they all come packing up into the front during the worship. And we'd be, I'd be looking, you know, during the worship, I'd be looking at them. And there was just one or just a few women dotted around in this huge crowd of people. And the volume was so loud, but it wasn't coming from the PA. It was coming from all the mighty men that were singing like at the top of their lungs with extraordinary passion and joy. And they, I don't think I've ever been in a group, in a community of worshippers with so many muscles. Man, I tell you what, my legs look puny in the presence of their forearms. My head looked puny in the presence of their biceps. And my arms, invisible. I mean, so amazing, you guys. And they were just going for it. But they didn't get those muscles because they were born with them. They got those muscles because they work hard in the gym as the, with, with, it, with a lot of resistance. You see, it's resistance that builds your muscles. Without resistance, your muscles are just flaccid. That means they look like water flowing. When you move your arms, everything's like jelly. If you've if that is happening, it's because you don't have a lot of resistance. But if you're a person that embraces resistance, that disciplines yourself to head on, to face resistance head on and work against resistance, you build muscles in the natural. And first comes the natural, then comes the spirit. And we just read in the book of James that all resistance that comes in the form of trials tribulations. That means difficulties. That means things that don't go your way. That means things that you thought were going to work out, but now they're a disappointment. And the word disappointment, as my brother Murray taught me, is when you appoint some, yourself to something and it doesn't work out, you become disappointed. So the root of all, dis, of all disappointment, the root of all disappointment is a wrong perspective on where you wanted to be in the midst of that circumstance. That you wanted to be the king in the circumstance rather than letting Jesus be the king in the circumstance. You see, if Jesus is the king of all your circumstances, you will live a life completely devoid and free of disappointment. Because you've appointed the right person to be on his throne in the midst of all the circumstances of your life. Not just in the things that you narcissistically would like to go your way, but because you live a life of surrender, because you're living according to his way. You're not living according to your will. You're not living according to your destiny. You're not living according to your calling. You're not living according to your desired outcomes. You're living in surrender to the God of the outcome. And the problem with taking our circumstances and the desires of what we would like to happen in a particular outcome, the problem with that, the danger of that, is that those outcomes become the idol that we are living for. And when those things don't work out, we fire God, the true and living God, and pursue the next idol because we put all the blame on him for what didn't go right 
instead of worshipping him in the midst of everything going wrong. And very often, if we're not careful, we use his goodness and we use his love as the very thing that we hold against him the most. I thought you were good. In the, I thought you loved me. How come you've let this happen to me? And it's not just to me. Very often, the biggest snares are the things that we get upset about when we see things didn't work out in somebody else's life that we love and we blame God that the outcome in their life wasn't the way they wanted it or the way we wanted it. But folks, Jesus told us to have faith in God. Mark eleven twenty two. Have faith in God. Have faith in the God of the outcome and leave the outcome up to God. Don't put your faith in your desired outcome and when it doesn't happen, get angry with God. You'll get shipwrecked in your faith. And the most important thing of all is that God allows us to have a pathway in our lives that involves suffering. God allows us to have a pathway in our lives that involves resistance and trials and things that we have to overcome. And I, I heard someone say, how could you ever become an overcomer with nothing to overcome? And so... Very often in our lives, though, like I said, we live in this ditch where we're the, now the, the master or the mistress of our lives. We're the master of our destinies. And we are going to work it out so that we avoid all suffering. We're going to work it out so that everything goes well for us. We're going to work it out so that we end up with a, our maximum perceived blessing. And what we don't realize is that we're not on a pathway to blessing at all. We're on a pathway to emptiness. And, and the true and living God, in his love, is bringing us, slowly but surely, if we allow him, to realize through everything that doesn't go our way, through every single trial that we face, through every moment of suffering that we're willing to embrace, as we cry out to him in the midst of the pain, that he's working in our lives a purity of heart called the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom causes us to inherit wealth if we love her. See how it works? And not only that, but all of those trials, all of that suffering, everything that happens in our lives that we, don't, we can't control, that's out of our control, that feels like it's going to disappoint us, that feels like it might derail us or feels like it might shipwreck us or all the good things that are going so super, super well that we're celebrating here in this ditch. Wow, look at how well I'm doing. I've got so much this, I've got so much. My relationships are amazing. My family are amazing. My children are amazing. My wife's amazing. My husband's amazing. My world's amazing. I'm amazing. Everything's amazing. I'm a, I'm a millionaire. But we don't realize God wants us to be a billionaire, not just a millionaire. And God's got so much more for us. You see, we tend to live lives in church as if we're in a hospital where we're, 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 we're constantly thinking God needs to fix us up. 
But actually, there are many people next to you, they're not at all broken, they're whole and healed up now, but God's still calling us not to be in a hospital, he's calling us to change and transform our city and the world, and he's got so much more for us. So even if it's going really well for you in your life, follow hard after wisdom, she's got so much more for you. And by the way, wealth, not just money, everybody. God has purposed. Deuteronomy 8.18. It is me who gives you power to create wealth that I might establish my covenant with you. Do you realize that wealth in your life is tied directly to the covenant that Jesus wrote in his blood and his body on the cross? Jesus does not want you to live in poverty. He wants you to live in wealth. He wants to fill your treasuries. Why? So that you have an abundance to give to the world around you. And it all flows out of covenant with a covenant-keeping God. I want you to take a moment. I'm going to encourage you, just for you right now, just take a moment, like I did in my chair this week, and just say, wisdom I'm going to tell you what you're going to say so that you can decide if you want to say it or not. I'm going to encourage you to put your hand on your heart and say, Wisdom, I love you. Would you cause me, according to the word of God, to inherit wealth, to fill my treasuries? Okay, if you'd like to say that with me, let's say it together. Wisdom, would you cause me to love you? And according to the eternal word of God, as I love you, you will cause me to inherit wealth. And you'll fill my treasuries. Oh, come on. You know what the best thing about that is? You just prayed a prayer that is the eternal word of God for your life. You came into agreement with it. And now wisdom is going to go to work for you. And bring that word to pass. Come on. Okay, I'm excited about that. Jonathan Shunker gave me an amazing, Pastor Jonathan gave me an amazing uh, quote from C.S. Lewis during the break that I want to share with you. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to raise, to rouse a deaf world. Shall I read it again? God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, what we're like when everything's going well never or rarely marks us different to the world. It's what we're like when we're suffering that marks us as different to the world. As long as we embrace that suffering headlong, head on. Look straight into the eyes of whatever giants are causing and are at the root of that suffering. And look those giants in the eyes. 
and slay them in the mighty name of Jesus. Because we hold on to the goodness, to the reality and the goodness and the love of a perfect father who we entrust totally every outcome in our lives. Where we dig in, in the, in the depths of suffering, we get onto the bench press of Romans 8.28. And we lie on that bench press. I was just with a pastor of our Catch the Fire Church in Greensboro. One of my spiritual sons, Kate and I's spiritual sons, Jake Murphy. Jake is now bench pressing 285 pounds. His friend that he's bench pressing with is on 385 pounds. Why am I telling you that? Because I want to connect with you that resistance and weight is how you grow muscle. And muscle in the spirit is called faith. And faith leads you to perseverance. You don't get bench pressing 285 or 385 on the second day after you bench pressed 100. You grow and through growth, you can take more and more weight until finally it's, it's like you're just bench pressing ridiculous amounts of weight, but your body can handle it in exactly the same way. So it is in the spirit, everybody. Every time you suffer, every time you face disappointment, every time you overcome a giant, every single time you're in that situation, your faith, his faith actually, Jesus' faith at work in you enables you to overcome in the midst of that circumstance. And that faith produces perseverance. That perseverance causes you to be mature. And in your maturity, you realize, oh, I need to ask for more wisdom. You see, without trials, without difficulties, without suffering, you forget that you have to ask. When it's going easy and you're all relaxed, ah, oh, man, life is just so good. Woo, this is awesome. You rarely ask for more wisdom. But in the midst of things not going well for you, you ask for wisdom. It's the nature. Turn back very quickly, just two pages to, or three pages in your Bible to Hebrews 12. We see that this very reality was true even for Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, we also, verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Can I just remind you, you are not alone ever in any circumstance. When nobody else is looking, or your family that have gone before you and are already in the spiritual realms with Christ, they're all with you, watching you. So next time you masturbate with pornography, just remember Grandpa Joe's there watching you going, oh my gosh, seriously, like when is this person going to learn? When is my grandson going to grow up into maturity? Okay? Just remember that. When you're spending money on the credit card that's shared between you and your husband, but you didn't ask your husband or wife's permission to do it, just remember, grandma, 60 years married to your grandfather, is watching you, going... All right? Okay. Verse 2, which is the verse I really want to highlight. 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. My Bible has a little one and a little two next to author and finisher. It says in the margin, originator and perfecter of our faith. The word our is in italics in my Bible. And that's because this version of the Bible, the New King James Bible, puts in italics what is not in the Greek, but they've added it in the English to bring out the meaning of the Greek, but it's not there in the Greek. What that means is that you could read it like this. Looking unto Jesus, the originator and the perfecter of our faith, is looking to Jesus, the originator and finisher of faith. I want you to know that, I want you to notice, okay, that the word finisher right there, that's exactly the same word as we just read, unto maturity and lacking nothing. Teleo in Greek. It means to be completely finished. So mature that you're now finished. And who is the one that is enabling you to become so mature that you're now a total finished work? Not just the one that's you in the heavenlies, but the one that your husband and your wife and your mom and your dad, they get to enjoy as well right here on earth. See, as Christians, far too much, we, we center on, I'm a finished work in the heavenly places. Or we center on, oh my gosh, I suck, I'm hopeless, I'm shameful. When in reality, the truth is, I am a finished work in Christ, but here on earth, I might not get it all perfectly right, but I'm on my way to perfection. I'm on my way to becoming the fullness of that man or woman in Christ Jesus. I'm in the I'm in the furnace right here where I'm becoming more and more and more refined in my faith because, and in that refinement in my faith, I'm learning to persevere more and more. That's making me more and more mature and that's making me more and more dependent upon wisdom and recognizing I need help. Wisdom, I need your help. And when we're in that place of wisdom, she, wisdom, enables us to face any giant that you might ever face, just like Jesus faced every single giant. It says here, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, wow. What a champion he is. He has every, there's not a single giant, not a single disappointment, not a single moment of suffering, not one single trial or tribulation that you will ever face, have faced, are facing, or ever will face that Jesus has not already won the victory on during those six hours that he hung on the cross. There's probably seven billion people alive on planet Earth today. The sum total of that seven billion is more than if you add all of the people from Adam up until this time that have lived before us and died. So if you add those two together, we're somewhere in the region of 12, 13 billion people and all of their suffering and all of their sin and all of their shame and all of their triumphs and all of their glories and everything that they ever did, good, bad and ugly, Jesus became it all at the cross. He became every moment of rape. He became every moment of murder. He became every moment of adultery. He became every moment that the entire human race have ever committed in sin against one another. And he became the victim of all of that sin. He became both the perpetrator and the victim of all of the human experience. Not just metaphorically, but actually. And because of that, 
He has slayed the giants of Satan, of sin, and of death. And of every demon and principality and power that will ever, and every moment of suffering that you'll ever face. And so in Christ Jesus, you can look at every giant in the eye and let the giant himself on the inside of you rise up and you can cut that giant's head off. Like Pastor Aaron was preaching. And I want to finish with this. Who's building your blessing? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses is preaching his sermon, his last sermon. That's the whole book of Deuteronomy to a new generation. Not the generation that sinned against God and were unbelieving and fell into the desert because they refused to go into the land because they listened to the ten tribes as Aaron preached so brilliantly a few weeks ago. Not the generation that fell into the ground and died over those 40 years of going round in the wilderness instead of entering into the promised land because they listened to 10 spies say in their report there were giants in the land and we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and so we were in their eyes. Numbers 13.33 But Joshua and Caleb were two men of a different spirit and they did not look at the giants like that. In fact, Caleb says... Later on, he says, let's go in because those giants, they're our bread. They're our bread. We're going to feed on them. But I want to read this and leave you with this. Verse 10 of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is he saying your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He's saying the God of covenant the God of generations, the God of multiplied blessing, the God of inherited wealth, the God who enabled Abraham to be the most wealthy man on planet earth, the same God who enabled Isaac to inherit all of that wealth, the same God who enabled uh, Jacob to wrestle through it all and finally eventually come to inherit it all as well when he'd finally come to the end of himself because he was so full of himself. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you didn't build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, hewn out wells, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you didn't plant. What's God saying? He's saying, Israel, you're about to receive a land that's so full of such giant blessings, I had to raise up 430 years of giants to build all of those blessings so that those blessings were so big, you could just inherit them. And we're looking at the giants that we face in our lives and we're like, ah! and we're running. When in reality, the very giants in our lives that we face are the very things that God's appointed to build our blessings, to build up for us, to store up for us, so that we acquire, so that as we step up to the plate in faith, so that in our faith we persevere, so that in our faith we mature and lack nothing, so that in that place we realize, oh my goodness, I need wisdom. As we turn to wisdom, she pours out that wealth and we get to inherit and we get to say 
I was given it all. Even though the giants tried to steal it, they couldn't. Because God appointed those very giants to build the very things of such magnitude of blessing that it required people way bigger than me to build those blessings for me. I just got to inherit it because I loved wisdom. And of course, the Bible tells us who wisdom really is. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, where it says, it is by him, that's God the Father, that you're in Christ Jesus, who is for us our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, let him or her who boasts, boast only in the Lord. You see, that's the thing at the end of it all. When we inherit vast amounts of wealth, whether that wealth is wealth in relationships, which, by the way, is the greatest currency of all wealth, or whether that wealth is time, which is also extremely valuable, or whether that wealth is health, which is also extremely valuable. You can be a billionaire and die of pancreatic cancer. Steve Jobs built himself a boat worth hundreds of billions of dollars and died before it was finished. There's so much more to wealth than money. And you know, in, in, in Malachi, we see God saying, if you return the whole tithe to me, I'm going to open the windows of blessing and cause such a blessing on you to fall on you that you won't even have enough store places to house it all. And we tend to think of some mechanical doors or winning the lottery or some blessings that are going to fall down from heaven on top of my life. When really, actually, in the Hebrew mindset, it's like pulling the curtains so that you can look into heaven, see the wisdom of heaven, and through that wisdom, learn how to create wealth. Not for yourself, but actually learning how through ideas and innovation and creativity, I can create value through products and services and a lifestyle that so blesses the world that money chases me because I'm creating so much value for the world around me. And instead of me chasing money, which grows its wings and constantly flies away, I'm creating value for the world around me as I slay giants and as I walk in wisdom on the path of life and Jesus is glorified and honored in my life and I fulfill the life that God's purposed each of us to live in Christ Jesus. It's his will, it's his destiny, it's all his glory. And now all of a sudden, all of that value gets turned into all kinds of amazing wealth that comes back to us. And we live a life that is so full of so much riches because wisdom, who's Jesus, gives it all to us. And on top of it all, having lived a life that's amazing, we inherit him forever and ever and ever. Let's stand. Let's stand. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Three weeks ago, our middle daughter and her husband, who live in New Zealand, they went through a very, very fiery trial because Daniel's father, Stephen, died and died of cancer the same cancer that Kate's mum died of 21 years ago. You know, really sad things happen to really, really amazing people. This last week, I had a two-hour meeting with Daniel. He told me the whole story. He told me how he was asked by his dad and a friend, his dad asked him and a friend, 
would you please pray for me if I die? I'm not going to die, but if I do die, as a great man of God, if I do die, would you pray for me for three days? Promise me you'll pray for me for three days to be raised from the dead. Our daughter phoned me up just after he died and said, Dad, I don't know if I can do this for three days. She's never seen a dead body, never been in the presence of a dead person in her life. And I said, honey, she said, I don't want to do it, but I want to do it. I want to be alongside my husband on my knees, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. I said, honey, you can choose not to, but I believe that if you choose not to, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And what if he is raised from the dead and you weren't there? But if you do kneel down quietly next to your husband and you pray for three days in the presence of your beloved father-in-law, who we all love and who you love and who your husband really loves and his sisters, you'll never regret it. And let me say, folks, as I sat with Daniel this week, I'm looking at this Australian man living in New Zealand, married to my daughter, and I'm listening to the story, his face shining through the tears. I said to him, seven months ago, two days before you got married, we had a two-hour conversation. I sat joyfully in the presence of a very, very wonderful young man. And I was so proud to know that you were going to ma- that our daughter was going to marry you. But today, I've sat in the presence of a mighty man of God. I want you to make a decision in your heart right now. Say, Lord, no matter what I face in my future, would you give me the grace to reach out to wisdom? Would you give me the faith to overcome? Would you make me into a giant slayer? Would you help me to be constantly in touch that you're the God who works all things together for good for those who love you are called according to your purpose? And would you cause me to walk the path of life that is not based on everything going well for me the way I'd like it, but is based upon you, my rock, my anchor, my fortress, my God who's with me in the midst of the storm and who promises to smash every wall, calm every storm and cause me to inherit the world. In Jesus' name.